And then we're going to go from there to 1 Timothy chapter 5. So if you'll have both passages marked in your Bible, you just follow along and we'll get into the message as we go. There are a lot of things that we can preach from the pulpit, but there are some things I would not deal with. Because I think there are some things that have to be dealt with by moms and dads at home. The Bible, everything that is written in the Bible is right. Everything that's written in the Bible that is godly truth is to be revered. We have lies that are recorded in the Bible. We also have God dealing with lying in the Bible. Uh, We have bad situations which are talked about in the Bible, but they're re-recorded. And they're there for our understanding so that we might know what kind of punishment God sends upon the wicked. And yet how God will bless the just. God has a plan for how his church and how his people are to operate in this life. There are some things that you, I just don't, I would not feel comfortable talking about from the pulpit. And I will not talk about it from the pulpit, except to mention that there are responsibilities that dads have and moms has of dealing with their own children about matters of, of purity that really have to be dealt with on a family level. It's not something for your neighborhood schools to teach. Right. All right. It's not the responsibilities of the schools to teach morality. It's the responsibility of moms and dads to do that. Now, that all depends on what type of information mom and dad might have and how in the world they got the information they had. Man decided one day it was time for the talk. You know what I mean? The talk. He wanted to take his 10-year-old son and said, son, it's, I, I need to spend some, we need to have the talk. And uh, he said, I, I want to talk to you about the birds and the bees. <laughs> the kid broke down in tears. The dad was overcome with, why in the world this kid would break down? I mean, he just want to talk about the birds and the bees. And he said, I want to know why, why, you're, why you're crying. And uh, the son said, promise me, dad, promise me, dad, you won't tell me anything. Well, why not, Dad? Well, he said, Dad, when I was six, I got the there is no Santa Claus speech. And he said, that broke my heart. When I was seven years old, I got the there is no Easter Bunny speech. And I didn't like that because I enjoyed the Easter Bunny and the chocolate bunnies in particular. And he was broken hearted over it. And when I was eight years old, you hit me with the idea there is, there, I've got the there is no tooth fairy speech. And uh, he said, that broke my heart. And I said, now dad, quite frankly, if you're going to tell me there are no birds and bees, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> now, <laughs> there is a time and a place. It's, it's not in summer camp where you teach boys about this or girls about that. That's a thing for moms and dads. I believe in having family seminars where husbands and wives come. We've had a number of those with Dr. Walter Fremont years ago. And it was uh, the only people, the people that were excluded from that were uh, people who were not married. It was for married couples. And Dr. Dr. Fremont did a very good job. Had his wife Trudy would teach the ladies and he would teach the men and then we'd get together and and have a, have a husband and wife session together. It was, a, it was a great time. But I won't broach that subject, and I don't intend to do it tonight, 
But here in Titus, the Bible says in chapter 2 of the book of Titus, he says this, the aged women likewise, and he goes down to verse 4, it says that they may teach the younger women. It's a responsibility within the framework of the body of Christ that the older women teach the younger women. Now, as I said last Sunday night, it kind of raises the question, well, who is an older woman? Now, I, I want to address this tonight, and I hope it's just brief, and it's, it should be. It should ought to cheer your heart, because I don't want you walking around thinking that I'm an old woman, you know. Uh, I want you women to feel comfortable, and I think, it's, I think it's a biblical approach to it. In order to do that, I want us to go over to 1 Timothy and build upon what Paul tells us here in Titus chapter 2. So if you take your Bible and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and when you get there, we'll share with you some things about what is a young woman and what is an old woman. When, when Paul says to Titus, the older women are to teach the younger woman, to what age woman is he addressing himself? Well, he's addressing a woman who's come of childbearing age. All right. This is a woman who has gone through the physical uh, development to the place where if she were to engage in a relationship with her husband, she could produce children. Now, you keep in mind that in those days, they did not have any medical advancement like we have today. In fact, there was not a, a, a means whereby they went to go through technically an abortion as such. Now, women did abort in those days. Uh, but when women did have children and they didn't want them, uh, the people of the day would just take their children, the babies that were born, and take them down to the uh, downtown, to the, to the center of the town, and they would leave their children down there that they didn't want. And then people would come along and they would claim the children for their own, for whatever purposes. Slavery of some kind, usually. Sometimes they needed, somebody else needed some help on a farm somewhere, so they would snatch a baby, a boy or a girl, and take them. Maybe some woman needs some help at the house, or some man needs another son working in the, in the farm somewhere. And so they would take those children, and they would, would rear them. But what he's addressing is a young woman is a, just a, a person who hasn't reached what we call menopause time, and basically the change of life and they're still able to have children. And so that's how you understand what Paul is saying to Timothy, and rather to Titus and to Timothy, about instructions about, about young women. And uh, I would add to that that even women who are able to have children, or as long as they're still wearing cho rearing children, are regarded as being young women. Now, how, how long is somebody a young woman? For those of you who have some affinity to not sharing your age or knowing how old you are, I, I think it's kind of comforting to know that you're regarded as a young woman as long as you're still able to have a child. In those days, you know, that uh, you have a child. And by, by the way, in, the, in those days, they had children because they needed children. And they, gave, they, they weren't concerned about having any type of birth control so they could have their children because children were family. And children were the strength of a family with mom and dad and children because the children that come along will eventually end up taking care of mom and dad. And they become industrious. They learn how to work in their homes and so forth. And so these are, these are people who are able to have children. And maybe, maybe they even have children up to age 60. 
I have, I have no, I know one woman in particular that her son was in high school with me and I knew full well that when she was 60 years old, she had him. Now, if he was in my class and in high school, uh, you can imagine what a chagrin she must have had when she found out her and her husband had conceived a child. She had that child, and that child has been a successful college professor and has been a uh, military uh, in military service or retired from military service. But that happened late in the life of that of that that woman. To remember her very well, a very godly lady, and I appreciated her impact in my life when I was growing up. But people had children; they continued to have children because the home was the center of life. And children were so important to the family. They bore children into their 40s normally so that even as they were approaching 60, they were still raising their children. I mean, you know that after you had a child, and it might be your last child, you still got a number of years in which you've got to train that child. Now, what I'm saying would be inconsistent with what we see in 1 Timothy here in chapter 5 about uh, women and their responsibilities. Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 5 and verse 9, and he gives us some very insight, important insight about women in the life of the church. Now, I'm, I'm talking about the local church, all right? Now, in our town, we have churches on every street corner. Every street's got a church somewhere. And uh, in those days, they didn't have that multitude of churches. But you have these local bodies of Christ where people got together. And Paul gave instruction on what they were to do with the younger women. But he says in verse 9... Let not the widow be taken into the number. Now, stop there for a moment. Into the number. Uh, that's a free translation of the verse itself. But I, I want to bring up the idea there was a, a responsibility. Now, churches had pastors. We called them elders, or we could call them overseers, or we could call them bishops by any number of names, but they were pastors. It was a designated office. You know that there's the office of the deacon. And that's a designated office. There are only two officers designated in the church. However, within the framework of the church, there were women who would regard it as deaconesses. They were also table servers. They helped and they served at the church. And though they didn't have an official designation as such, they, they could be regarded as helpers. All right? So apparently there were some godly widows who were able to serve on a church level in a church capacity uh, maybe uh, the, ch the church needed to assist them. Perhaps maybe their, their husbands had died and didn't left to leave them any means of support. Or maybe their families couldn't support them. Or if, the woman couldn't, if other women couldn't support them, uh, uh, all of those were to take place according to 1 Timothy chapter 5. In other words, if a woman was a widow, the other men in the family, and we have widows here, if a woman had children, or they had extended family, sons, uncles, brothers, cousins, or whatever, Paul said it's their responsibility to care for the widows, all right? If she didn't have men who could support them, then other women were to support them, and that's all outlined here in this chapter. And if other men and women weren't available to do that, then the church was to help care for the widow. So there were some widows that literally would be physically cared for by the church. You say, boy, there must have been a wealthy church. Huh. 
They weren't wealthy churches by any stretch of the imagination. Well, how does a church to meet the needs of widows? The people in the congregation gave. And they gave freely. They gave out of their poverty. Like Paul said to the Corinthians, they gave out of their poverty to support the needs of the saints down at Jerusalem. That's how they would take care of the widows. But we get the idea what Paul was saying in this chapter is that there was some type of list that was, was kept and you wonder how in the world people could get on the list. Well, uh, one of the things these women were to do before I get to that was that they were to visit the younger women. Then we get that from Titus chapter 2 and they would visit these younger women to teach them and instruct them. Now remember, I did not say this is something that takes place in the church. That's people in the church who are out and they're visiting in the homes, helping the younger women. Uh, there, there are some women that grow up and they don't know how to handle some of the tasks that are being passed along to them. Or, uh, you know, how, how to be the type of women they need to be, teaching the younger women. Uh, some women don't have a motherly instinct as such. They need to learn that. They don't have mothers to teach them. Older women can do that. Uh, this business of being a housemaker, homemaker, how, how to be able to cook, how to be able to bake, how to be able to do things while the children are being raised and uh, you have a family to take care of. Uh, listen, these older women made themselves available to help women in the church who needed help. They provided counseling and teaching. And uh, some of that was very specific. Uh, some of them were very problematic, no doubt. But women, younger women, are in need of the wisdom of older women. They visited the sick, the afflicted. They looked to care for those that are in prison. They provided hospitality for travelers. I think of Mrs. Green down in South Carolina. I talked to you recently and some time ago about her. Uh, when people from Bob Jones University come to preach at Faith Baptist Church, and they were spending the night or spending a the day, they would, they would come to Mrs. Green's house. And it was a little hovel, a little cottage, and I've described it for you before. But Mrs. Green had a guest book there. And you could see Dr. Bob Sr.'s name in there, Dr. Bob Jr., Dr. Bob III. You can find other faculty member in there. You can find the names of the young men and women who came down to serve at that church on the weekends. Their names are in there. My name is in there. Others of my friends are in there. Wasn't much of a house, but boy, it was a wonderful place. Wonderful southern cooking. Listen, it was better than Cracker Barrel Restaurant. For one thing, you didn't have the noise. Number two, you had room to move. You don't have room to move at Cracker Barrel. They're ridiculous the way they cram people in there. But boy, the old pot belly stove and the cornbread and... and uh, the puddings and pies and all the other good things those women could. Little granny lived next door, and she would bring over stuff. Boy, it was, we always looked forward to being there. She was that type of woman, and the church looked after her. They picked her up. They took her to church. When we came, we would pick her up, and we would take her to church. And we would bring her home. She's just one of those wonderful ladies. And churches need people like that who are able to say, you know, they can come and they can stay at my house. My husband and I would be glad to have them. Well, that's what they did. They, they, they had a, a, a liberations movement at that time, a women's liberation movement. 
There, there were women who wanted not to be associated with home and with husbands and so forth in the times of the Apostle Paul. But he said in the church, there's, there's a responsibility that, that older women can take care of in meeting the needs of the younger women. And like I said, collecting those children that were left downtown at the marketplace, they would take them and make sure that they had a place to stay and grow up and be reared with Christian responsibilities. And apparently the church had a list. And uh, these women could be put on that list if they were at least 60 years old or over 60 years of age. It seemed like that was the breaking point because even the Roman Empire at that time had mandated basically that when a woman reached 60 years of age, she would be considered uh, a senior citizen, if you please. An older woman, it was 60. So if you're 60 or older, you would be regarded as an older woman. So if you're under 60, rejoice that you are regarded as a younger woman. You are a young woman. And all the younger women said, you should say, man, you're a younger woman, you know. <laughs> However, the women that were put on this special list, from what we can understand, these were women who had moral virtue with them. And there's the, there's the fly in the ointment. They had to be models of virtue. You look at the qualifications, quite interesting, beginning in verse 9. They had to be at least 60 years old or thereabouts, and they'd have to have a reputation of being the husband, the wife of one husband, like a husband ought to be the husband of one wife. There's also the one husband type of situation for a woman. That's not doesn't mean that she's only had one husband. It means that she's a one-man woman in the Greek. In other words, they were totally devoted to one husband. Now, she might have been married a number of times because the husband could have been an unbeliever, and he departed. And remember, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, and I think it's chapter 14, that if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. And if the unbeliever departs, then the believer that is left is free to remarry. He makes that very clear in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Or it might be that the husband had died. And in that case, again, they were free to remarry. Not, the issue is not how many times they were married. The issue is that they, had known, they were known as a wife who was devoted to the man who was their husband. So in that sense, they were virtuous. They were loyal. They were dependable. There was not breaking the bond. There was not just looking for a way out or I don't love you type of thing. It was a matter of, of listen, this is my situation in life. My husband left me. I'm without a husband. He's an unbeliever. Paul said, let him depart. Or the husband has died. You know what Paul said for a woman who had her husband had died? Let, him be, let her remarry. Let her remarry. It's all right for a woman to remarry. You know, if a woman had her, lost her husband early in life and he had died, she was free to marry again. You get that instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. In fact, she's told right there she ought to marry again. He says that younger women should get married again. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 39 and 40 says that the widows, however, the stipulation, it was this, that the widows are to marry only in the Lord. Quite frankly, the pickings are thin out there. You just don't want to open the door for any old guy that walks down the street. If you're going to remarry, you want to marry in the Lord. 
You ought to have an understanding in, in, uh, in the individual that you have interested in you, whether or not they know the Lord, if they have a testimony of living for the Lord. But you see, these women who are younger could marry, and they have time to bear more children. And if they bear more children, they have to have a father to help care for the, for the children. But in a situation where you have a woman over 60 years of age and her husband is gone, and she has no compulsion for the physical aspects of, of, of marriage, and she's willing to devote herself to, to serving the Lord Jesus Christ through her ministry, she's got no children at home to raise, and she could be put on the, chip, on the list if she has the moral character and she'd been faithful to her husband. In fact, you read in verse 10, if she had a reputation for good works, that would be part of the, the, of the resume of this woman in order to be put upon this list, however it existed. So she's a noble woman. She has a pursuit of God on her mind and pursuing the good of others. That means she's an unselfish person. It's not a, it's not a matter of, well, they're all gone and now I'm going to spend my life just traveling all over the country. I haven't seen country. I've been lived in America all my life and there's a whole lot of our country I haven't seen. But I don't have time to run around and looking after the country. I've got a responsibility as a pastor and dealing with Christian people where I am. But this woman is like the woman in Proverbs chapter 31 that Solomon says is a virtuous woman. Read the chapter. Or she's like Dorcas, you read in the book of Acts, who made special garments for the poor. She was a type of woman that she's shown hospitality to strangers, according to Paul. She has washed the saints' feet. She's helped people that are in distress. She's devoted herself to every good works. But you notice in verse 10, in particular, he says, if she hath brought up children. Now, there's a difference between having children and bringing up children. The very idea that he says bringing up children means that this woman had taken a responsibility seriously, and not only cared for strangers and humbled herself to wash dirty feet of those who walked in the dust and the mud. She was known because she was devoted her whole life to every good work. And the implication is that the, the children that she rose resulted in being godly children. What a goal that your children might be godly children, like, like Suzanne Wesley praying over her children, that all of her children would be saved and serve the Lord. You want to have children like that. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, they, they lived in faith and love and with self-restraint. Paul said, you look in the congregation and you might find these women in there. If you find them there, then let them take care of the younger women. You let them minister to the sick and the afflicted. You let them take over the care of abandoned babies and serve in any way they can. Hospitality for those that need it. Care for those who need it. Assisting those who are in distress. This is a woman who has relieved the afflicted. That's what assisting those in distress means. It's a woman who knows how to care for other people. See, her life has been spent. Spent on her children, on her husband, on the needs of others. And she's a woman known as one who does good work. On the other hand, you look at verse 11. And Paul talks about the other women. And in verse 11, he says, now look. There are younger widows. In essence, don't put them on the list. Don't put them on the list. You say, well, preacher, they're, 
They're younger widows. Why, why shouldn't they be on the list? Well, you know, some of them are going to lose their husband perhaps early. And, uh, you know, death in a family is not a pleasant thing. Particularly if you've been seriously in love and devoted to your husband and a husband to a wife. When, when death comes, that becomes, a, in a very real sense, a very distressing thing and can be distressing. Women being so emotional characters and uh, they can become a wreck just like men can be, become wrecks if they're not cared for. Husbands lose their wives. Husbands that have lost their wives need to have men come over and comfort them and help them. Women who lose their husbands need women who can come alongside and say, listen, we, we understand. We've been there. We know what's going on. But Paul says you don't take the younger widow. The younger widow might come and say, I don't want to marry anybody else. I don't want another man. There was no man like my husband, and I don't want any other type of a man. And in the, emo in the moment, in the emotion of the moment, and devotion to that love that was there to that man, they will devote themselves to Christ and say, you know, I want to be in the list. I want to give my life to Christ. I want, I want to be one of those widows who can get in there and, and minister because I don't want to ever marry again. But verse 11 says, the time is going to come where they're going to wax wanton. Now, he's not talking about putting wax on the floor. You don't have a wanton floor. What waxing wanton means this. You have those desires that you had as a younger woman. You've not gotten over those desires. You still want to have those desires fulfilled by a relationship with a person who's a husband. So he says if they, if they wax wanton and that drive is there, they may have a disregard for what they have promised God they would do in serving him. And they're going to wax wanton and give in to their desires and they're going to back on them a pledge that they made to Christ. I'm going to serve God. But then a man comes along and they drop everything like a little puppy dog and they get involved in infatuation before long. Uh, they make a disgrace of their lives. There may be a condemnation there because they're not going to keep a vow that they said they would keep. You made a vow when you got married, didn't you? There's no way under heaven that you ought to break that vow. We're to be glued to each other. And that's not to emphasize because we learned of a family that's facing dissolvement potentially. Men and women get the idea that they're just free to leave whenever they want to leave. No. You're to cleave to your wife. You're to cleave to your husband. See, what I'm getting is that Paul would say they're, they're going to have some condemnation because they, they set aside their vow. They set aside the pledge that they're going, to, they're going to serve the Lord. And Paul said, you don't take the younger woman and put them on this list because they're going to have a desire which results in bearing and the rearing of children. And there's going to be a need of a husband and all the nine yards that go with that. Verse 13, he tells us that the younger woman who might be a little bit immature might even go further and they'll learn to be idle. They had been industrious and now they just learn to be idle and they go from house to house. 
You know what happens there? They go from house to house and they gather some information here and they take the information that they gather here and they take it down to house number two and they share that information too and then they go find what they got in house number one and house number two they take it down to house number three and they share that information that's not to be done you don't need to do that they're idle they're busy bodies they're, they gossip they talk about things that are not proper to mention they just go around and talking and instead of helping and teaching and instructing and counseling they collect information here and move it over there. Pretty soon the whole thing, the whole buzz is going to be all over the place. That's why Paul said you don't let the younger woman be brought into that, that list. You know, if a woman is of moral character, she's going to learn how to keep a confidence. It's important you keep a confidence. Somebody tells you something in confidence, you don't share it with somebody else. My wife may say to me, what they want to talk to you about. And I say, I can't talk to you what, I, what they want to talk about because it's in confidence. Pastors need to do that. Pastors' wives need to do that. Older women need to learn to keep a confidence. You don't share, when somebody shares with you, you don't go share with somebody else. So in verse 14, Paul says, you, you tell these younger women to get married, bear children, keep house. Don't give the enemy an opportunity to reproach the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when they turn aside to follow the devil. If they don't get married, if they don't get married, their physical desire is going to lead them into sin. They need to get married, have children, keep a house. I mean, God has arranged for that domain, their area of responsibility or calling in life. And if a woman does what she's supposed to do, she will not bring reproach upon the name of her Savior, in the name of her husband, in the name of her family. So Paul says, you don't take the younger woman and put them on this special list. So whatever you learn from the passage, you learn this. The older women are kind of 60 years age plus category. All right? And the younger women are below that. They're at least at the point where they're still bearing children able to still raise children they're they're younger they and if they're younger than 60 they ought to get married it's far better for them to do what god has called them to do and to care for those children and keep house and not give the enemy an opportunity to blaspheme the name of christ and be, bring reproach upon the cause of christ so the duties and responsibility of the older women in verse 10 really tell us what God expects a woman to do. She's to be devoted to her husband. She's supposed to bring up children. She's to show hospitality to strangers. She's to be unhumbled in spirit and wash the sheets, the saints' feet, even as Jesus did for his disciples. She's to assist people that are under pressure. You say, what does that entail? Who knows what that entails? Does it, need, uh, does it mean a, a meal ought to be made to help take care of a lady that's in distress? Are there clothes that need to be washed? Beds that need to be made? Care for the children? That's the kind of person the older woman should be. Now, that's, that's what she was when she was young. And that's what qualifies her to be on this special list of kind of like a unofficial type of thing but they have an opportunity to serve in the church God bless the women 
who are able to say, you know, I want to be used. You know, there's a place. We have opportunity. And it's not in the framework of, well, we got Sunday school hour, we've got morning service time, we've got evening service time. This is outside the realm of what we might do on a normal process of Sundays and Wednesday meetings. This is a place where women can be involved and ought to seek to be involved in assisting and helping to care for other people. And you'll be surprised, as I have been surprised. You go to help and you'll find out that they will be a better blessing to you than you'll be to them. Because that's the way it works. God's shovel is bigger than your shovel. No matter what you give, God gives out better towards you. And if your heart's desire is that you want to be used to the Lord, he'll use you. Whether you're a young lady, whether you're a teenager, whether you're 60 plus, there's a place for you in the work of God. And God bless you as you say, you know, it's my desire to be used to God. My desire to be used to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we again, we thank you for the opportunity to share this evening just a short time about these, this various important thing, this, this women that ought to consider that if they've raised children and they're of good moral character, how they might be involved in being used to help be a blessing to the lives of other people. A pastor can't do everything and a deacon can't do everything. We've got to be in this thing together as your people. It's not that, that somebody is a Lord over everybody else. It's that everybody else is a servant to each other. And together we serve the Lord our Christ. And in doing so, he gets the honor and he gets the glory. Because we want to live to his honor and glory. Help the men and women of this church and the young people of our church to have a desire to be used of you to your honor and glory. And for that, we will give you thanks, not only here, but in eternity to come. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen and amen. wonder what we would sing tonight, and I thought we'd just sing softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. You just never know how God is working in an individual's heart. Do you want to respond? That's fine. You can do it in your seat. You can use the altar. But let's stand and sing together. Number 235, we'll sing at least two verses, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. And then we'll have a word of prayer and we'll